0: Welcome back to the FNF Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. The FNF Coaches Podcast is just part of the FNF Coaches platform. Visit FNFCoaches.com to see all of our content offerings from daily features, videos, and our more recent digital publications. Subscribe to the print magazine by clicking on the subscribe tab at the top of the page. You'll get six magazines mailed to your home each year for only $19.95. Also, subscribe to the FNF Coaches podcast on your preferred platform. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. Our guest today is Cincinnati St. Xavier head coach Steve Specht. Coach Specht has been the coach at St. Xavier for 18 seasons, leading the team to three state championships. He is a 2012 recipient of the NFL's Don Shula National High School Coach of the Year award. Coach Specht recently published a book, Fourth and Redemption. Faith, Football, and the Journey Down the Long Blue Line. The book shares the story of the 2016 season when Spec Squad, decimated by injury and a 5-5 five five start to the season, went on to win a state championship. I was just saying before we jumped on here, I just received a copy of your book last night and i uh, really looking forward to reading it. Congratulations on publishing it. Now, as you talk, as, as we do look into culture building, what I found uh, when I read your chapter on it is you focus a lot on two coaches who are known for establishing win- winning cultures, and that's Bill Belichick and John Wooden. Um, how has your coaching been influenced by each
1: of those coaches? Those are guys that I've studied over my career, and I think it always comes back. They call it the process. I call it adhering the mission. You follow that mission. You don't make exceptions to the mission. I think when guys start making exceptions, what their mission is they no longer have a positive culture in my opinion um you know I've heard a lot of coaches over the years uh in the
0: beginning you know they'll have that first meeting of the year and they say you know I have two rules you know be on time or and do what you're told or something like that and as I read your chapter on culture building I thought about how that's kind of selling players short from two perspectives one you're not giving them ownership of the team because it's your rules and your instructions and number two You're not setting the high standards in terms of character development. What are your standards
1: at St. X and how do you encourage your players to meet that standard? I think that's a great question. I don't think that the football standards are indigenous. They flow from the school mission. Uh, I I need to state that. We have a a mission statement at St. Xavier High School that that I've adopted that I use, obviously, with the football programs. really we want these kids to develop their faith. We want to develop their leadership through character and we want them to develop the fact that we're here to support what we call being men for others. Um, The bottom line is I want these kids to understand that personal sacrifice for a cause bigger than yourself is why we were placed on this earth. It's called leading a purpose-filled life. And that's what we focus on. How do we lead a purpose-filled life that centers on being men for others? Uh, And that's really what we're going to focus on. I think you make a great point about culture, Dan. And, you know, when do people talk about culture when it's bad? Mm-hmm. That's when they talk about culture. You very sell. So when you hear Bill Belichick or those guys talk, I don't really know what that means. Well, it's because nobody's complaining about a bad culture. And when John Wooden coached UCLA or, you know, what Belichick's done with the Patriots. So in. I think adhering to those those principles and the missions important, but a bigger point that you made that I'll draw attention to is at the beginning of every year, I, I meet with our senior class and our captains in particular, and I make sure they understand. I tell them, look, I was asked to steward this program. So it's my program, but this is not my team. It's your team. So since it's your team, you need to police it. If you police it, we're going to have a pretty good team. We'll have a pretty good season. If I police it, it becomes my team. And if it's my team, we're not going to be very good. And I think that gets back to the culture of these kids holding one another accountable. Um, I'm not a Like you said, I, I don't like rules. Um, I like mission. This is the mission. And if you guys hold one another accountable to the mission, then we're going to be fine. But, if I have to come in and I have to start levying uh you know discipline because guys aren't adhering to the mission you you don't care, and that's that's when it falls apart. So the key for us is to continue to build that mission within the kids let they let them take ownership, let them have faith in the system, develop their leadership in controlling that and holding one another accountable and that's when great things happen in my opinion,
0: yeah. Absolutely. And the accountability is huge. Uh, but like you mentioned in your chapter, uh, it, it's not only like you need the players to be accountable. You need them to police themselves. You need them to, uh, the buy-in from them. Cause like you said, if it's just you, they're not going to be very good, but that, uh, it's also the accountability after a loss, which you said, or, or a negative outcome in which, um, it causes the rest of the team to lose trust when a coach won't take the accountability. So even though you need those players to own it and it ne- you need it to be their team, a leader of a team also has to step up and set the example for taking ownership and accountability. And why why do you think it is so important uh, post game because it's an easy thing to do? It might not be um, it might not be the the natural thing to do to point fingers after a negative outcome, but it's probably the easiest where you say, hey, it's not my fault, they, you know we didn't have a great week of practice because of the coach or hey, you know, this guy didn't cover his assignment. And that's why that play went wrong. But why do you think it's so important for the coach to set that example that, you know, after a loss, even, you know, if the blame is all goes everywhere, you take it upon
1: yourself first. Well, it's, there's a few things and that's a great question, Dan. I don't care who you study or what, if you're looking to try to develop culture and you start reading up on some of the great, great organizations in the history of man, it all starts with trust. So when you talk about accountability, being accountable to your teammates, to your coaching staff, they have to trust you, and you have to build that trust, and you don't build trust by pointing fingers and laying blame. That just causes more and more dissension. So I, the things that we try to preach is, number one, we all have permission to fail. I think in, in sometimes in this world, Kids are so afraid of failure and it inhibits their growth and development as people and as athletes. So we remind the kids, you have every right to fail because you're human and you're going to fail more than you succeed. But here's the key. You have permission to get back up and you have permission to fight harder to improve and you may fail again and again and again, but you have permission to do it. Once you grant that permission and kids understand that you're going to support them, even when they do fail, then you're going to see growth and development in kids um, at the high school level. And I'm only speaking from the high school level. So at the end of every, uh, every game, whether, you know, regardless of the outcome, I think it's important to deflect the praise onto the kids and take ownership of of your own failures. And, And if we don't succeed as a team, that's my issue. That's my fault because I'm the steward of the program. I'm the one captaining the ship so I'm going to deflect all the criticism uh, from the kids to myself. When we lose, I'm taking ownership. I'm letting the kids know, here's where I failed. Here's where I failed you. And the kids ultimately will look at me and say, coach, you have permission to fail. And I love when that happens. And it's, yeah, I know. That's, that's why we do this, guys. Uh, but I think it's important to take ownership of that. Admit your faults. Then kids trust you even more because they see your transparency. They they understand that hey when I get on you it's because I love you not because I don't because I dislike you I love you I want to see you get better and I'm going to coach you hard uh, but I'm also going to support you and I'm going to have your back regardless of what happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a it's a great point because as you said in the chapter when building a positive culture doesn't happen in one season. Or, you know, I guess if you take over a staff, that's what you try to work on in the first season. But in your examples of Bill Belichick and the Patriot Way and John Wooden and his 10 championships, that's something that you establish over time. Um, And you had been at St. X, you know, from 2003 was your first season there. So there were a good 15 years uh, almost before that 2016 season. And I want to kind of get into that season because that's what the book's all about. In what ways um, was building a positive culture important to that season? And when, at what point in the season did you start to get a sense that
1: that team had the right culture? Well, I think it's important to note, Dan, I've been the head coach at St. X. My first season was 04. I'm a 1986 graduate, and I started coaching for my mentor, Steve. Uh, Steve Rassel was a head coach back in 1996, so so I've been a part of, we call it the long blue line at St. X. So the mission was established a long, long, long time ago. So uh, what I talk to the kids, when I say rules, we have one rule and it better look right. That's the rule. And we always harp on, don't tell me what you're going to do, show me. And if a member of the long blue line comes back to watch a practice or to walk through the school, walk into a classroom, walk in a weight room, what should it look like? Because you're going to graduate, become a part of this long blue line. When you come back in 10, 15 years, you're going to want to make sure it looks right. So the culture, you know, I'll talk about the culture in 16, but I think the culture of the long blue line was established a long, long time ago And it's our responsibility as alums to uphold the standards and the mission that we talked about. So, so again, the the culture has been established. It's not something I'd love to say, oh, here's the recipe for having – no, the culture was already established here. I just didn't want to screw it up. Mm -hmm. So that's why you study guys and you add certain things. But, again, mission is mission. For any young coach that is going to start a program, become a head coach – the first question that I'll, you know that I'll ask them if they ask me, you know, what do you, what did you, what's your mission? And they'll look at you kind of funny. I say, you better get that detailed out as detailed as your offensive game plan is. Defensive, your mission game plan is the most important game plan you have. So work on that. Mm-hmm. But in sixteen, my gosh, we were gonna, we thought we had a chance to be pretty good going into that season. So we accepted an opening. ESPN nationally televised game against the best the number one well one of the top ranked teams in the country a team uh St. John Bosco out of LA who was they were phenomenal great team and um we had a left tackle Matt Bockhorst that's now at at Clemson won a national championship with him Matty was six, four, two, or six, four, 305 pounds great player um, we had a left guard next to him, Dominic Altamari, was six foot 6'6", six, 315 pounds. Great one. He's out of Indiana University now. Great player. Well, even before the season started, uh, Dominic tore his ACL at a camp, uh, a recruiting camp. Matthew tore his ACL at the Nike Combine. So all of a sudden, we're looking around. We just lost, what, uh, 12 feet, 15 inches, you know, 12 feet, 12 inches, and 600-plus pounds off the left side of our line um and and it just snowballed from there our right guard tore his labrum the first day of camp so he was out Sean Clifford the quarterback at Penn State was our quarterback that year and Sean went down with a foot injury in a preseason game it was just I can't remember how many injuries we had going into that season but It was getting so bad, we had to adopt the mantra, uh, clear the mechanism, and let the dead bury the dead. You know, we got to move on with life, guys. And we went and got run-ruled by that Bosco team. They kicked the crap out of us on national TV as a running clock in the second half. And I just looked at these kids. And after the game, we went back into the locker room. We talked about life. You know, somebody made a comment that life wasn't fair on the sideline. And I lost it in the, in the locker room. I had some fierce dialogue with the kids, and I, and I just told them, I said, life is the most fair thing we have. It gives us the same amount of, you know, minutes in a minutes in an hour, number of hours in a in a day, days in a. We all get the same amount. What are we going to do with that? And when you talk about culture kicking in, that's when you have to think about what does it look like? How do we deal with all of these disappointments of all these injuries and getting embarrassed on national television? What is it, you know, are we supposed to lay down and say, poor man, life's not fair. Are we going to say, this is what we are. Let's attack it. And the kids did that. They never quit. And as the year rolled on, I saw them getting better and better, and we had young guys stepping up and developing, and, and it looked right, Dan, is the thing. It was really starting to look right. And as you mentioned, we finished the regular season 5-5. Five and five. We snuck into the playoffs, and we ran off five wins, three in overtime in the state championship in double overtime. It was just a great character study of kids that dealt with disappointment, that weathered the rages of the God, the adversities that set in, and they never gave up and they never quit. And they were able to accomplish something no team has ever done in the state of Ohio, and that's go average five and five in a regular season, Division One, and win a big school state championship.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, you've said a few times, and you you have it in the chapter that I read. What what should it look like? In, in the chapter, you say, you know, if if someone an alum were were to walk into the school and walk into a classroom and see somebody on the football team, what should it look like? He should be paying attention. He should be asking questions. He should be engaged. Uh, what what do you, do you lay out a framework of what it should look like if you encounter a football player in, you know, the weight room out on the practice field and, and what should it look like in those different areas of, uh, of the football program?
1: I'm sorry, I missed the question. What, what, what should it
0: look like? Yeah. Like what should it look like if you were to walk into a classroom and see a, a, a person on the football team, what should it look like in the weight room? Like, do you, you ha- do you have a framework that you
1: tell the guys, this is what it should look like? Well, I think that's, I think the kids can answer that themselves is a thing. If I walked into a classroom, what I'm going to look for, unless the teacher seats them alphabetically, if they have a seating chart, if they get to pick their seat, they better be in the front. Mm -hmm. I don't want them in the back where they can screw around. I want them in the front. I want them engaged. I want them raising their hand. I want them asking questions. Um, I don't want them to be a wallflower. Now, some of our kids are very introverted, and they're not going to, ask a lot of questions, well, I better see you paying attention then, Mm -hmm. which is fine. Um, But but it better look the way it should. If I walked in and saw one of my players sitting in the back on their phone, texting their girlfriend or screwing around with another student, uh, that's a problem. That's a major problem. And I won't even yell at the kid. I'll bring it up. I'll name the person and I'm going to say, all the kids that were in that class with him, why didn't you address this? you know what it's supposed to look like getting back to if they police themselves, we've got something important here. So a lot of times I draw attention to the guys that didn't do the right thing, that they weren't doing the wrong thing, but they didn't take that extra step to go above and beyond and do the hard thing, which is the right, you know, what's the, the quote, there's never a, a wrong time to do the right thing. There's never a right time to do the wrong thing. I think that's a little Holtz statement, mm-hmm. but, but that's kind of the classroom. In the weight room, we're always looking for incredible effort. We want to see guys spotting one another and giving great support to them. We want to see a lot of high fives. We Well, we wanted to see that before the coronavirus, at least. <laughs> yeah. We want to see great emotion. We want to see great effort. And I have, I think, uh, Terrell Williams, who's my strength coach, is the best in the country. And, man, these kids, they, they see his emotion, his passion, his passion. He's what it should look like in a high school strength room. So, again, they should, they should feed off of his energy. And then on the practice field, I want to see guys doing the same thing. I want to see you know, movement. I want to see if we jog on the field. You know, We walk to class, we jog on the field is one of the things we love to say. And I want to see just great energy and great effort, regardless of what your role is. If you're a scout team offensive lineman, you better be the best scout team offensive lineman. You can execute the card that you're reading. And if you're our touchdown maker, I better see you running crisp, precise routes and finishing. Um, Liam Clifford, who's Sean Clifford's younger brother that's committed to Penn State, He's a senior wide receiver for us. He is the epitome of what it should look like in a practice. And when your best player is also your artist worker is also demonstrating what it should look like, you've got a chance to be pretty special. Yeah, that reminds me of
0: uh, I don't know if you have ever watched. um, It's an HBO show uh, and it's hard knocks. It's basically they follow an NFL team through training camp. And a couple of years ago, they had the Houston Texans and Bill O'Brien was the coach at the time. He just got fired this year. But um, and Mike Vrabel was an assistant on his staff. And he's obviously now the head coach of Tennessee. But they were uh, coming out to a practice. It was, you know, the dog days of training camp. I think it was two days, all that kind of stuff. And uh, Coach O'Brien gets out to the field and he's like, look. I want to see some energy, guys. Everybody needs to be bringing, and it can't be the same guys every day. It can't be, you know, J.J. Watt and Mike Vrabel, you know, coming in here and getting everybody fired up. It's got to be, you know, guys a little bit lower on the totem pole or, you know, even the guys that are playing special teams. Like, you don't have to be the best player or an assistant coach to bring the energy and be a leader in that way. And that was kind of to your point where, you know, it should look like that, you know, even if you – if the best player on the team is, is sick that day, you know it still should look the same way. Um, you mentioned uh, the COVID situation. What is the? How has your season been going? And how, what, what's the uh, situation in Ohio this year?
1: Well, we actually are are in the last last game. Um, we were able to play six regular season games, and it was I tell you. You talk about kids dealing with some mental some tough mental issues when you talk about coronavirus and are we even going to have a season we had to shut down for two weeks in july because of a COVID outbreak these kids are thinking are we even going to play and then the state opens and says we're going to play six regular season games and everybody gets into the playoffs and then the big 10 shuts down so you're thinking geez are we are we even going to play now that the big 10 shut down and the governor of Ohio was making a weekly, having a weekly press conference, and we're thinking, is this the week he shuts it all down? But our kids weathered that storm. We finished uh, the regular season four and two, only two losses to really good Indiana teams, and we've made a run through the playoffs, and we're playing for the state championship this Friday night. So again, what should it look like? These kids demonstrated it in full, tenfold throughout this coronavirus. They, they did their best to follow the protocol, maintain social distancing, and wear masks, and they avoided going to blowout parties on the weekends. They sacrificed getting back to culture. These kids sacrificed for the good of the team, right? And they said, they, they're say individual. I'm, I'm, I want to be a high school kid and go to this party, but I'm not going to because I don't want to hurt the team. And it's been pretty impressive to watch it play out. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. It's uh, So you haven't had any... Once you got started with the regular season and they scheduled the six games, you haven't had any situations where you had to cancel a game because either positive test on your team or the other team?
1: No, we've been very fortunate, Dan. Yep. Um, like I said, we've been able to make it through 11 games, and now it's uh, we're moving into the 12th and the last one. So we've been able to get a, a, a great season in, just tremendously proud of the kids. And getting back to it and why we're on here today, they've adhered to a, to a culture and they've showed us what it should look like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you look at uh, the season, I think the one challenge, uh, you know, and and more so for probably schools in California or some of these states that aren't going to be playing football until either January or even into the spring. Um, But, you know, also for the schools playing this fall, there's a chance for you guys, uh, for your players to get film on tape and uh, get some looks that way. But, you know, it's a dead period, and that you don't have the college coaches on campuses this year. How how has recruiting been affected, uh, and wh- how do you think it will impact this class of twenty twenty one and even twenty twenty two?
1: Yeah, that's that's the million dollar question right now, Dan. I wish I had an answer. I can tell you, that's not many, not many schools have been actively recruiting mm-hmm. um, this year's seniors. That's been been disappointing, but they're all fighting the same thing. As an example, my my oldest son, Hayden, this was his fifth year at the University at Albany. He was going to play his final, final year of college football. Well, they've extended his scholarship opportunity to the spring if they have a spring season. And then there's an option that they might open it to next fall. Well, if you bring all these fifth-year guys back or these seniors back, what does that do to your incoming freshman class? Right. So the frustration for me, and I think for all coaches and anybody that deals with kids in education, when you see kids suffer life experience because of something out of their control, like like COVID-19, uh, you know, th- that's the hard part for me. I'm I'm an old man now. I've had my opportunities to do these things. I want to see these kids have opportunities to go and do bigger and better things. And I understand the arguments back and forth. On, but I'm not a political guy in any stretch of the imagination, but I hate to see young people lose opportunities. And I think that's what we're seeing with the senior class this year in the recruiting. And they just don't have the opportunities that kids in the past have had because of this virus yeah
0: and it's happened in spring sports already where you saw last spring you know ncaa wiped out its season they gave everybody an extra year of eligibility and now you know you've got baseball players that were uh expecting to go you know contribute right away and then they're welcoming back fifth year seniors it is It is really a mess and those opportunities uh, for those players, you know, they're they're not going to, you can't really stay in high school for a fifth year unless you prep or something like that. So it's, it's not fair, but um, you know, like you said, it's, these are opportunities to overcome the adversity and kind of do what you're supposed to do to uh, persevere. Um, Now, what about in terms of uh, strength training, conditioning? I've talked to some coaches because of the interruptions in the summer schedule. uh, Like you said, you guys were... Had to stop for two weeks. Are there ways in which this season has played out differently, scheme wise, where or substitution pattern wise, or anything that you've had to account for? Guys, maybe not being in in the peak condition that they typically are in. Well, that that gets
1: again. You get back to culture building when mm-hmm. when we were when we were shut down and we couldn't have the kids come in and work out, and all the work you know, workout facilities around the the state were shut down. Um, we would do a lot of Zoom conferences with with the team. And the one question was, are you holding one another accountable to your workouts? Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? And what about the kids that don't have access to equipment? How can we help them out? And the kids did a great job with that. We would send them a workout program. We'd send them a running program. And the reality was we had to rely on them to be committed to what we were sending them. And to their credit, they were. We never had issue. We never had an issue with our our physical training. When these kids got back, they were in tremendous shape. Um, and again, it gets back to the fact that they they held one another accountable to the workout plan.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I know, um, like I had mentioned earlier, it's Urban Meyer he did the forward to this book. Oh, I've you know I would imagine you publish a book like that that's you know years in, in in the making and you know you have to find a publisher to do it for you it's obviously a huge accomplishment do you hear from you know other coaches around the country you know including coach Meyer or other coaches who say hey this is a great book I've I've I gotten a chance to read it or just congratulations on doing it is there a kind of an outpouring of support afterwards
1: well we actually it, we just published it oh, okay. it just came out and I, and I wrote it over the over the lockdown. Oh, so wow. it was a cra- crazy deal. I hooked up. I, I'm in, I, I raised money for for St. X and I was supposed to go out to LA and I uh, couldn't go out there. So I called one of our one of our alums, Dan Weber, who lived out there, who wrote for Southern California football, USC And Dan's a 1960 graduate and I, I ran the idea by him. And he said, I'd love to help you with it. He's a career sports writer. So for three months, he and I grinded on this book and we just published it. It, really, it literally just came out. So Coach Meyer obviously sent Coach Meyer, uh, sent Urban a copy and it, uh, I interviewed him. Uh, there's a chapter before the chapter on culture where I interview Urban and it's pretty interesting. Study on the pressure associated with coaching, yeah. uh, but he was—he gave me, you know, hour and a half, two hours of his time to talk through it. Answered some some tough questions. Was very honest. Uh, so, but we're just now getting the book out. I sent you one, obviously. I'm gonna—we're uh, sending them out to yeah. different people around the country just to try to try to draw interest because I do think it's a universal. I think the themes are all universal. I think any high school program, uh, college program, even the NFL, I think there's a lot to be taken away from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've actually, um, I saw you speak, uh, it was probably, you know, two years ago, three years ago, maybe at the USA Football National Conference in Orlando. And uh, it was a great, I think it was about culture. uh, do Do you do speeches about culture at those types of conferences?
1: I have. We yeah. do a lot on uh, building a program and yeah. obviously building a program, you better have the culture first and foremost, or doesn't matter what you try to build after that. So I have done a lot of, uh, I've done a lot of speaking engagements nationally, um, not just at coaching clinics, but to businesses. It, it's interesting to see the, hear the perspectives in the business world, in the athletic world. There's not much difference in the the businesses are successful the programs that are successful they all have the same focus on team building and culture building so I've been very fortunate in my career to to go a lot of neat places meet a lot of neat people and, and uh, have an opportunity to speak at a lot of events are there any of those things happening virtually
0: this year or is um, are there any types of speaking engagements or are, there, are those on
1: all on hold for now yeah most of most of the whether you call them clinics or have been done online. Yeah. Um, that's where you're seeing most of it through these Zoom meetings. And I've done a few of those. It's different. <laughs> it's totally different, but it's still good. I think the messages are universal. The messages are very important and need to get out there. So whether it's at a convention, whether it's on a Zoom meeting, I think those are great points to, to reconsider every single day of your life. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Well, Coach, I know you've got uh, the big game coming up this week, so I won't take any more of your time.
1: Congratulations again on the book, and thanks so much for joining the podcast. Hey, this was great. I appreciate what you and FNF do for for all sports, and uh, especially high school football. You guys are fantastic. Thanks for saying that. Visit FNFCoaches.com
0: to check out all of our podcasts, digital magazines, and daily content. Subscribe to the print magazine by clicking subscribe at the top of the page. You can also subscribe to the FNF coaches podcast on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, or Google Play. Thanks to Coach Speck for joining the podcast and talking with us about building a positive culture. Visit CoachSpec.com to order the book and follow the coach on Twitter, at CoachSpeck28. Thanks again for listening. The FNF Coaches Podcast is an AE Engine production.